We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is, it is the field, the field of, 68 of 68 after dark. My name is Greg Waddell. With me, we've got head coach Steve Prome and RC Wake Forest legend Randolph Childress. We got a great show planned for you. We're going to break down some of the biggest games from tonight, from yesterday, from the entire weekend. But first, please, if you're watching this on the Field of 68 YouTube, make sure that you like and subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss out on any of the After Dark shows that we put out. You can also listen to us on Channel 84 on Sirius XM ESPNU. Fellas. How we doing? We made it through the weekend, Coach. I mean, you, you look happy to be here tonight. I can see it on your face. Yeah, no, uh, great weekend. Uh, had a couple good games today and a couple good blowouts yesterday, man. Some convincing wins by some teams yesterday. And so uh, ready for Big Monday tomorrow. RC, how you doing? Can't complain, man. Ready to have a good show tonight. Yeah, let's rock. We're going to we're going to talk about a lot of things tonight. We got a chance. The three of us did to sit down with Houston head coach Kelvin Sampson coming off their big road win tonight. We will get to that in a little bit and also break down what we think of the Cougars and their chances come March this season. We're also going to talk about who should be number one. Gonzaga, the Bulldogs have been dominant lately. Blowout win after blowout win over on the West Coast. Is it time for Gonzaga to take over the number one spot in the AP poll? We will discuss. But first, let's start with the action from today. There was a big one in the Big East. Providence, the Friars, the quote-unquote luckiest team in the country, as our own Jeff Goodman has been prone to say, was down at the half down three points to a Georgetown team that has not been extremely competitive every game this season. They come back in blowout fashion, win the second half, 44 to 22. They win by 19 points, 71 to 52 to move to 20 and two on the season. Steve, let's go to you first. Are the Friars for real? Yeah, they're for real. I mean, 20 and two, 10 and one. Uh, in league play, first in the Big East uh, by two games in a loss column over Villanova, uh, but they still have Nova twice. They got to go there, and but Villanova's got to come to Providence. But also, you know, they've got seven wins away from away from home, and that's a lot of wins. You know, they're six and one on the road. Uh, they're for real. They beat Wisconsin. They beaten Texas Tech. You know, UConn, Seton Hall, Xavier, Marquette. They're for real. They play in a phenomenal league. 
And uh, they've taken the identity on of Ed Cooley, their head coach, and they've run with it. RC, there are two games in the loss column ahead of Villanova at this point. And the Big East, as Coach just mentioned, is a competitive conference. Are they actually the favorite to win the Big East at this point? I've been saying it all year. I know our boy Rob has been before UConn, <laughs> before he fell off on the UConn bandwagon. I know you're listening, Rob. I know he all the way off. You no, know, he's never going to be all the way off. He's never going to be all the way off. He's still holding on to something. I, I've been on him all year. I just think I like the makeup of their team, and I said it with Bynum and I think with Durham. They got closers now. They got depth. And more importantly, they don't have that NBA starter that – we're accustomed to or you know anybody's accustomed to looking you know looking for but what they do have for that nba guy is probably 10 fouls per position per position so they're gonna have bodies to throw at you you know we talk about nate watson if he isn't playing well they just throw cromwell in there so i i i like the team i just think they take on you know ed's personality they're gonna defend and more importantly like i said we've questioned some of their ability to close i think they got two guys that they can rely on no different than what they did today. I thought buying them today was sensational. So looking ahead, there's six games left on their Big East schedule. They've got Villanova twice. Twice. So Villanova, who has three losses in conference play, can certainly catch up to these guys. Um, I I still I have a hard time squaring the the quote unquote luck that Providence has with just grit and toughness. Like yeah, this team is thrown in some games where they have to muck it up, but they're damn good at mucking it up. Like I was looking in the box score today cuz I flipped on in the second half. And I'm like, how are they struggling with Georgetown? As soon as I flipped it on, they start running away with the game, but I'm looking at the box score like there's not a guy in the starting lineup for Providence who was killing today. It was Jared Bynum, 32 points off the bench. And it, they seem like the type of team where any given night, somebody just steps up and makes some plays. Um, now, the other thing with Providence is the, the, the metrics don't love these guys. I mean, Ken Palm has them 41st in the country today, even though they're 20 and two. Coach, I got to ask you, how do you square that as a coach? Like, if you just keep hearing and hearing and hearing that, man, like it, you're not as good as your record shows, does that wear you down at some point? No, I don't think so. I think if you go off Ed Cooley's personality and if there was a clip, I think when they were playing Seton Hall, he had he was right in front of his guys and just challenging them about, hey, this is a this is a toughness game. This is a character game. This is about grit. Uh, They probably love that. You know, even when he was talking to Fanta that one night about, hey, let's just be the luckiest team in America. Then it's gotten us this far. We're 20 and two. And so. I think that they don't beat themselves, I think, number one. And then number two, like Randolph touched on, different guys can step up and be great on different nights. And when you have five guys that are double-figure scores right around that, I think nine and a half is their fifth guy. When you have that, man, A, you're a tough scout, and B, you know, it can be one guy get 20 this night, one the next night, and then it's hard to win in Providence. I mean, that's a tough, tough place to play. It's a tough travel and it's a tough place to play in that environment. So, RC, I was I was playing this game with Carter Elliott, my Sleepers Media counterpart, earlier this week, where we were going through teams in the top 25 and deciding collectively whether or not we could see them making a Final Four run this season. And uh, a common theme that kept coming up for us as we did this exercise was that the team would have a, quote-unquote, the guy who we could point to and just say like, okay, you get that dude, the rock, he 
takes care of you down the stretch in a tight game. He's good enough who can just propel you to wins when needed. Michigan State, for example, our Spartans don't have a the guy. Providence was the one team that Carter and I collectively were like, we can see them going to a final four, but we can't name who the guy is on that team. Does that matter to you when you project this team's potential success in March? I think we all know one of the reasons why is because I've said this, I don't know who has a better resume. I mean, Steve, we were talking early and we're wondering like, why is this team not in the top 10? Like who has a better resume with, with, you know, with the wins they have, you know, in conference play, they're 10 and one in the big East but they also got a win over Wisconsin and Texas Tech. Like, I, I don't, I don't, and I know guys weren't, you know, always, you know, not totally there. You know, they had guys missing, but like it, it's had, you know, Providence has had guys missing as well. So I, I don't understand it. it. It's not for me to understand, but you can tell this group has just used it for fire. So as, as Ed said, let us continue to be lucky. But for me, I, I think they're among, they're a top 10 team. Let's just call it what it yeah. is. And and it, and when you look at the resume, if we just take the name off and take Providence off and do a blind resume, I don't know. Maybe Auburn has a better resume than they have right yeah. now. I mean, I, I, maybe. You know, their, their seventh best win is Northwestern on a neutral floor. You right. know, if you want to break it down from the high majors, you talk about, we talked to earlier, Wisconsin, Texas Tech, UConn, Seton Hall, Xavier, Marquette. For them to be 20 and two, and them to be 10 and one or 11 and one in the big East and to be 15th in the country. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And it should, it should keep a chip on their shoulder, but I think that's what Ed Cooley and the Providence Friars, you know, feed off of. And so, you know, like I said, they've got Nova twice. If they could get a split there, they got a great chance to win the big East regular season title. Yeah. They got 10 wins against the top hundred teams on Ken Palm. And really only one bad loss, I believe, to Virginia. Um, you guys are right. At this point, I, this is the best resume in the country other than Auburn. And I think at some point the polls have to catch up. We'll see where they land tomorrow. Uh, but I, I think this Friars team is going to be a top 10 team in the country sooner rather than later. Yeah, I would assume they have six quad one wins. That, that's my guess. When you talk Wisconsin Tech, Connecticut, Seton Hall, Xavier, Marquette, you would think those. The most anybody in the country has is seven. Mm-hmm. And so – Come on, man. They're not, they're not top 10 in the country. Yeah, no, they gotta be. And I think they will be. We'll see where they land in the polls, but uh, let's move to uh, another team who held serve another top 25 team, the Ohio state Buckeyes today with a 15 point home win against Maryland, EJ Liddell. Uh, I don't even know if you can call it a quiet performance from him, but it was a quiet 24 points, 11 rebounds, five assists as crazy as that sounds. Uh, they're seven and three in the Big Ten right now. They are right in that group of three lost teams with Wisconsin, with Purdue, with Michigan State. RC, do you take the Buckeyes serious as a contender to win the Big Ten this season? I mean, they're only one game out. You know, the Illini is 10 and two, and, and they're right there, like you said, with Purdue, Wisconsin, and, and Michigan State. So, I, I like the group. I mean, they gave Purdue a run and Purdue made plays at the end and, and, and closed the game out. But, you know, it took a took a great three pointer at the buzzer, but they were right there to play. I, I don't think they're afraid. They're a battle tested team. The only thing that concerns me with Ohio State is they're just the freshman guards, you know, yeah. getting consistent play out of the freshman guards. If they you just can't some teams just. You know, you, you want you want to get old and stay old. And they got some talented freshmen. But again, they are a talented team that's relying on freshmen. And when you do that, you're going to be up and down. 
Yeah, it's two things that scare me with Ohio State. It's it's the the youth in the backcourt, and then it's yep. the defense. Um, and I, I don't think they're a horrific defensive team, but I, I don't think they're great. And we saw that bite Ohio State in March last year when they catch a matchup with a guy like Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner who could just go off and shoot the lights out. I don't think Ohio State wants to get in a track meet with teams come March um, because they're not the type of team that can consistently get stops when needed. Uh, but at the same time, that hasn't stopped them from winning games and, and winning games comfortably as they did today. Coach, what's your take on the Buckeyes? Yeah, well, they're good. Like you said, to touch on what you said, they're going to try to control the pace and play at their tempo. And so, number one, that's going to keep them with an opportunity to win every game they play, I believe. They're one game back in the loss column. Uh, I think, obviously, they're front court heavy, just like Randolph said. The guard play's got to be big down the stretch because when you get in a one-and-done situation, the guard's got to be elite. They've got to be special, and some of them are some of them are young uh, and haven't been in that situation before. But when you break down their schedule, what they have left in their eight remaining games, you know, they're all hard in conference play. But all those are winnable. They've got the one carrot at Illinois. If they can go win that road game, they have a legitimate chance to tie or being a co-tie for the conference championship because they can hold serve at home. They're going to have to play well against Indiana and Michigan State. You know, they've got some road opportunities at Rutgers, at Michigan. they got to play well. But if they can go to Illinois and win, they're going to have a legitimate chance to be there in the end. Yeah, they're also a team that you can't count out and I think we saw that last week at Purdue I mean they they were down I want to say 15 down the stretch of that game and then all of a sudden you know string a couple live turnovers together hit a couple jumpers they're right back into things um speaking of Purdue I think most Big Ten fans even Illinois fans uh I think would admit that Purdue is the most talented team in this conference and if you're if you really want to put a term on it like we we think Purdue is the best team in this conference um, do you guys agree with that at this point? <laughs> they're a game back, right? Like they're, they're, they're not in first place at the top of the standings. And, you know, there, there's still questions with this team come March, both defensively and in the half court, who's going to have the ball in their hands. I think Purdue has been so talked about for so long this year. I think everybody wants it to be Purdue and, and deservingly so. I mean, they're really good. But Illinois, to me, is playing the best basketball in the league right now, without a doubt. The one thing that Purdue, like we saw earlier in the year, that they can give Illinois problems is they can throw two different guys and they can throw a swarm of guys at Kofi and that can wear him down. And if Kofi gets in foul trouble against them, it can be really tough. But Purdue's everybody's sexy pick that everybody's right. talked about all year. But Illinois is playing the best basketball in the Big Ten. Brad Underwood defensively, what he's done with Kofi out, with Andre Corbella in and out of the lineup, the leadership of Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams, and then the addition of Plummer. Man, hats off to them, man. But the best team right now in the Big Ten is Illinois. I agree. I, I don't. I completely agree. And the only knock I've said I've had against Purdue is, again, two of your three best players can't be on the floor together. They cannot put their best three players on the floor. And, and that concerns me. I think they're a great team. They've been a top 10 team all year long. But something has to be said for the Illini being first place this late with the amount of games missed by key players. I mean, that's that's Kofi's missed games. They've won games without him. 
I mean, they, they've been they've been the best team. And I and when they're with their guard play, they're gonna be in every game, even if Kofi's out. And I think the one thing Randolph just said to touch on is you know, Purdue can't have their best players on the floor all at the same time. I think that's why small ball almost created itself. Because, hey, how do we get our best five players on the floor at the same time? Well, you got to go small. You got to put a four at the five, you know, if you don't have that legitimate post threat, you know, and provide matchup problems, play five guards, play a skilled forward at the five, just to put your best scoring front or your best defensive lineup out there. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm with Illinois right now. I think that's fair. Uh, it's going to be a hotly contested race in the Big Ten down the stretch, as we said. Really five teams still in this thing right now. Illinois is holding the top spot. We'll see if they can hold on to it. Coming up next on After Dark, we are going to get to our interview with Houston head coach Kelvin Sampson, and then we will break down in depth what we think of Houston's chances come March. This is the Field of 68 After Dark on Sirius XM Channel 84. Clear 90 seconds. All right, let's get to some questions in the YouTube chat. Our producer, Dagan, is going to come in and hit them with us. Thank you, Greg. And let's get to the first one here. Jackson Connor wants to know, are people discounting Texas after a slow start? Yes. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't believe... I'm just not sold on Texas personally. I mean, obviously they're well coached. I just think it's too early, but I'm, I'm, I would say, yeah, I'm not, I, they wouldn't be amongst the top teams for me. I just love that. Yeah. Yes. They're being discounted, but also, I'll yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm going to discount them, but I, I, maybe it's not as much as others, but I'm going to discount them. Go ahead. <laughs> I think Chris's team play the best here in the next month, but tomorrow night's a big telling game for them. Like, they have a great opportunity, big Monday, to play well at home, follow up a big win Saturday. They 30. need to get this one tomorrow night if they can. I'll give you one more quick one before we got to get back here. Pac-12 yeah. tournament teams, two, three, or four? Four. Three for me. Four. Four. Oh, Oregon. Four. Oregon's the fourth. Yeah. I say yeah. Oregon, yes, four. Yeah. Oregon's been playing really well lately. I they enjoy watching that team. Greg, I thought who was was that Dagan saying he had Washington, Washington State in before we started? Oh no, that was that, no, no, that, that was that, <laughs> that hey, was Bill Walton. Was that Bill Walton? <laughs> I can't lose my credibility around here. Just Stanford. Yet. That was Bill Walton at eight. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> You're Your life. And we are back. It's the Field of 68 After Dark. Greg Waddell, Steve Prome, R.C. Randolph Childress. Right now, we are going to talk about the Houston Cougars undefeated in the American Conference this season. A blowout win on the road against Cincinnati today. They were up huge early. Things got, I don't want to say dicey, but Cincinnati trimmed that lead down quite a bit. And then Houston just took it right back from them and ran away with the game down the stretch. Uh, this Houston team, incredibly fun, incredibly tough. A lot of the things that fans have come to love about Houston in the last three, four seasons still apply to this Houston team. It doesn't matter the faces, the names of who's on court for this team. Uh, it, it's a Kelvin Sampson coach Houston Cougars team, and they're going to compete. 
They're going to play great defense. They're going to get up and down the floor and they're going to score the basketball. Uh, we got a chance to talk to Kelvin Sampson. So we'll go to that interview in just a moment. But real quick, Coach, what was your takeaway from this game tonight with Houston? Well, when you go on the road in Cincinnati, Wes Miller's a terrific coach. And Cincinnati's a tough environment, tough place to play. And you go in there and you handle your business and you jump up on them. I think I looked at the score right away. It was 18-4. Then you have your boys ready to go. And he had them ready to go. And anytime you go on the road like that in conference play, hats off to you. And a uh, big fan. And Kelvin was great in the interview and got the utmost respect for him as a, as a, as a, as a coach and a person. All right, let's get right to the interview. When we come back, we will talk about Houston's chances going forward. And can they run the table in conference play? It is possible. But first, here is our interview with Coach Calvin Sampson. Got coach Kelvin Sampson from Houston, fresh off a 22 point victory on the road at Cincinnati. First off, coach, congrats on the win and thanks for making time on the bus ride for us. No problem, guys. Got to be on with you. Thanks for having me on. Coach, it's Randolph Childers here. Congratulations again on the win. I, I got to ask you, I know everyone else is wondering this as well. Uh, despite the injuries, what adjustments have you made to kind of keep the ship rolling? Not many teams can sustain what you guys sustain, losing arguably the two best players. You know, uh, the end of the first half was a good example, uh, Randolph. I, I try never to call a timeout in the first half of the game unless it's, you know, absolutely necessary. We played at Central Florida uh, a couple of games ago. We got down 11-2. I said, let's just write it out because uh, I know my team. But tonight, uh, we were up 20, I think, and they, they started coming back. I didn't necessarily call timeout schematically or technically. I called timeout because our kids were exhausted, and we just don't have any guard subs. Right. You know, I had two guards with two fouls. Uh, one of them was on the floor. I, the true freshman that had the hand surgery was also out there, uh, Ramon Walker. But Shed needed to come out. I didn't have anybody to put in for him. So I think the biggest adjustment is is just monitoring um, their fatigue and not foul trouble. Because, uh, you know, uh, a couple of games ago, somebody had to play with three fouls. We had two guys with three fouls. So we're a little bit of a uh, perilous situation, a little tightrope deal with no safety net with our fatigue and our uh, numbers. But um, – you know, we just, you know, when you're a coach, Steve knows this, you just kind of figure it out and keep the train rolling. Coach, congrats again on a great road win. Um, can Thanks. you just talk about the development of uh, Josh Carlton, you know, coming from UConn, averaging three points a game, and it's really almost 12 points a game, almost six, seven rebounds a game. Can you just talk about his transfer, the impact he's had, but also just the development that you guys have had on him and him on your program this year? Yeah, last year was a tough year for him, um, uh, two, twofold. One, COVID, uh, and then he got an injury. He tested positive for COVID, so he had to go into quarantine. And you know, big guys, that affects big guys more than do guards. I mean, I, 
I think I know you know what I'm saying. You know, somebody that's 6'10, 250, you shut him down for 10 days. Then when he came back, uh, he had a kneecap uh, injury. So now that's a double whammy. He never got in shape. He, 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 gained, he gained some bad weight while he was in COVID. And uh, Danny, who I think is an outstanding coach, recruited a big kid that's, that, as a freshman, was playing better than um, uh, Josh was. So Josh started, you know, with the COVID knee injury. He just put him far behind, and he just never caught up. But we had played him when he was a sophomore, when Kevin Ollie uh, was the coach. And uh, – uh, my son, Kellen, when he saw that Josh was in the portal, he said, uh, Josh Carlton's in the portal. Uh, what do you think about him? Um, and these were my exact words. Let's sign him. You know, because he, he, he can play with his back to the basket. But, you know, like most big kids, they just need confidence. They need somebody to believe in them. And they need, and they, they need the ball. Uh, and play for it. Um, you know, he's been – he's got a little nagging injury. He didn't play as effective as he has been playing. Uh, but, you know, our backup five-man was really good uh, tonight. But Josh has been phenomenal with us. You know, losing Marcus Sasser and Jermon Mark, you know, we were kind of looking for a North Star, some something that we could chase and, and give us some direction. And the guy that uh, uh, gave us that was uh, Josh and then – and then once we establish how we're going to, who we're going to play through, then we, and then where the shots were going to come from, what else we were going to run um, offense wise came after that. But Josh is, Josh has been a godsend for us. Coach, you mentioned the portal and that's become a buzzword. Obviously we've seen it around the country, varying levels of success with bringing new guys in. Uh, you guys start tonight, three guys that are first year players for you that have come from other programs. And it's astounding to me as I've become, you know, a fan of watching Houston basketball with how hard you guys played last year. That doesn't seem to be different. You may have different faces on the court, but it doesn't feel too different than the team you had last year with all of these new guys. How do you balance bringing in uh, fresh faces to a program, but not losing what makes Houston special as a basketball program. Yeah. Guys, it's no different than uh, when they played Oklahoma either, uh, or even Washington State. That's just something we've always hung our hat on. I think as a coach, you got to have something you hang your hat on. Um, you know, we preach there's three three people that can never have a bad practice. That starts with the head coach. Head coach, best player, and point guard. Um, uh, Baby and White never has a bad practice. Uh, Kyler Edwards never has a bad practice. Uh, Jamal Shedd's getting there. You know, he's just a freshman. Um, you know, we played we played, we played three portal guys, but we also played three freshmen tonight, too. Uh, Jaylen Roberts, Jamal Walker, and Jamal Shedd are all freshmen. Um, so... But I think it starts with uh, guys that want to come and know what they're getting into. You know, if you come play uh, for us here at Houston, you know what you're getting into. There's no secrets here. You know, everybody's on TV now. You know, uh, we've been to two or three Sweet 16s, lost to Kentucky a couple of years ago, Final Four last year. So we've been on TV enough, and most of these coaches know what our program's about. Um, so, 
So when we recruit a kid and he wants to come here, uh, he's probably a lot like that. Um, uh, for instance, Josh played for Danny Hurley. Danny is a really good, tough coach. Um, Tajay played for Rod Barnes at Cal State Bakersfield. Rod Barnes is tough, man. His, his kids play hard. I think Kyler Edwards played for Chris Beard at Texas Tech. Look at their program and what Chris is all about. So, And that was a big part of our decision recruiting kids. We wanted kids that had a background in playing similar to the way we play so they wouldn't have to come in here and be something they're not. They've been coached hard. Uh, they understand what competition is. Um, and, they have, and they have high character kids. Uh, Josh has graduated from college. Tajay has graduated from college. And Kyler's getting close to graduating. Fabian White has graduated from college. So uh, we try never to be young. You know, we've got some good young players in our program, but we don't, we try not to depend on, on freshmen. Uh, Jamal made the jump. You know, last year, he's a COVID freshman. So last year, he didn't play much behind Dejan Giroux. But uh, this year, when Marcus went down, he was ready because of the experiences he had the last couple of years. All right, we were talking off camera while that interview played. Calvin Sampson is just the real deal, man. Like we, we caught him on the bus after the game and we're like, it would be so easy for him to mail in this interview right now. He didn't like, he's a captivating man, but he really is just talking to him. Uh, the one thing that I, I really took away from this interview was hearing him talk about a guy like Josh Carlton and even just watching him tonight. Another guy uh, like, like Fabian white, two guys who, not necessarily go-to guys at all in their careers or even for this Houston team. And all of a sudden they're thrown into spots where some of their leading scorers go down and now they're going for 20 points like Fabian White did the last two games. RC, as a player, what's it like for a team when you lose a couple key guys like that and role guys have to step up? Key guys, let's say they're two best players. Like, like name me a team in the country that you can take their two best players from and they don't miss a beat. Now, I think ultimately it'll catch up with them because they're they're forced to play a lot of guys, a lot of heavy minutes. And as he alluded to, and we spoke on a little bit earlier, foul trouble. Like most times, most teams, you get foul trouble, two guys, you got the first half, you got to take them out. He's choosing to ride with his guys. Now that gets tough because they're a tough, they're physical, get after you defensive type of team. So you can't just say, oh, you got two fouls, go in and, and don't foul. You know, they're a physical team. So I think ultimately in the end, that'll catch up with them. I don't believe they'll finish conference play undefeated, even though they've gotten to a heck of a start. But he's as good as there is in the business. And I mean, as good as anybody. I want to ask you on that. Why not? Why do you think they won't go undefeated? Because this this is a conference that might not have another tournament team, right? True, but I I think the depth, we know Memphis is as crazy as that situation is right now. They got the talent to beat him, you know, to, 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 to get a win, you know, to beat him. So it's just hard to do unless you're just superiorly more talented than everybody else in the league. And there are some other teams with some talent in the league that could give them some trouble and they don't have the depth. Coach, can they run the table? It'll be tough. It's hard to do. I mean, you don't see many teams run the table in conference play. I don't care what league you're in. It's right. extremely hard to do. 
And they've got really their four road games. I think they're all very tough at SMU, at Wichita, at Tulane, and then at Memphis. I think all those are going to be really, really tough, tough games. Can they win them all? No question because of what his team's about and what he stands for. But it's going to be very, very tough to do that. They got a big week coming up here. They, they go to SMU Wednesday, the second place team in that conference. Then they host Memphis uh, in a big nationally televised afternoon Saturday game. The schedule makers knew what they were doing, putting Houston at Memphis as the final game of the regular season as well. So we shall see. I'm throwing my hat in the ring here, though. I do think this Houston team could go undefeated. I really do through conference play. I mean, they I, I've counted them out multiple times this season already. Even, you know, I like to go over to our friends at Bet Rivers and, you know, sprinkle a little change here and there. Like Houston's bit me a couple times this year when they lose guys. And I'm still wondering how they're laying 10 points. But all they do is continue to win and win in very impressive fashion. So it will be fun to see where they head next. Coming up next on After Dark, we are going to get to some of the biggest results from the weekend, including UCLA's week from hell that ended in a double overtime loss late last night. North Carolina, the Tar Heels struggling to stay afloat at home against Duke. And then, of course, Kentucky and Alabama, a big win for the Wildcats on the road in the SEC. That is coming up next on the Field of 68 After Dark. All clear, 90 seconds. All right, Dagan, let's get some more questions. Uh, think your number one seeds are so far. For me, it'll be Auburn, Gonzaga, Kentucky. Oh. And after this week, I may have to go Arizona. Wow. I don't know. I'm, I'm open with that. I don't know. I don't know who I'd go with the last one. But I for sure would go Kentucky, Gonzaga, and Auburn. Our, uh, our Fielding the 68 show this week had Gonzaga, Auburn, Baylor, and then Purdue, Kansas were the two that the experts were split on. That would be Kansas. I, I forget about them. I would One go minute. Kansas. I would go Kansas over uh, Arizona. Yeah, I like what Randolph said the first time with Arizona as the fourth number one seed right now. Obviously, yeah. a lot of people capable of grabbing that, but I think Gonzaga cemented, Auburn cemented. Um, who's the third team we just said? Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky. Uh, and then I think it could 30. be, obviously, Arizona Duke. You've got a couple Kansas that could could float in there. Conference champs will be interesting. So I think it'll be hard-pressed for the Big Ten winner to not get one. Uh, if it's Illinois or Purdue and then big 12 winner, you got to think Kansas or Baylor ends up getting one. Does the PAC 12 winner get one? Does the SEC winner get one? Does the SEC get two teams in. There's a lot of different ways this can play out, which is why you should watch fielding the 68, the bracketology show on <laughs> this very network. It's Greg Waddell with me, coach Steve Prome. Randolph Childress, a.k.a. R.C. We are into the third quarter of the Field of 68 After Dark, presented as always by Bet Rivers. Please, if you're watching this, go over to the YouTube channel, like and subscribe. Get your questions in, too. Every break, we're getting the questions in from producer Dagan. Uh, please hit us with whatever you want us to answer, and we will 
get it on camera for you. Uh, guys, let's talk about some of the biggest results from last night. And I think the biggest, at least craziest result from last night was UCLA losing 87 to 84 in double overtime at Arizona State. Uh, look, tough week for the Bruins. Obviously, the, the revenge game lost to Arizona. But to follow that up two nights later with what is a quad three loss as of today, I did not see that coming. RC, did you see that coming? No, that's a they lost to a bad team. I mean, and I thought coming off of getting losing to Arizona, you can understand. Um, tough game. Could have went either way. You know, you wouldn't have thought any less of them from that. But for a team that we were starting to talk a lot about, that was a disappointing loss. That was a disappointing effort. Uh, I know it was an overtime, but they're 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 just a better team than Arizona State, you would think. Coach, did you stay up for for two overtimes last night? Yeah, really three overtimes. I mean, it's a three, three. overtime game. Oh, it's three. My bad. Yeah, it's three. three overtime. Yeah. Well, I fell asleep in the second. You fell That's asleep you in the second overtime. <laughs> it did. It went one more. It went one more overtime. And so uh, we'll talk about that if we need to get, we need to give you an update for that. Uh, you did know they lost, though. You know, the one thing that I found when I went back and kind of looked at the game and looked like the rundown of the score, UCLA was up in the last minute of regulation the last minute of the first overtime, the last two minutes of the second overtime, and they weren't able to close. And, you know, Mick Cronin, you know, I followed his career for a long time, him being a former Murray State guy and going against his teams when he was at Cincinnati. Man, his teams are usually focused defensively, tough, tough as nails. They've got to get that stop on the road at Arizona State, get a split because – their schedule, they got to still go to Stanford. They still got to go to SC. They still have to go to Oregon, you know, and they've got Washington State coming to their place who's kind of sneaky good team. But I, I thought they had to get out of that one with the win. But I, that was what I was most disappointed with them. You could talk about their field goal percentage, shot selection, all that stuff. Man, they couldn't close and three different times. Yeah. So, UCLA, both last year when they made the magical run through March and then this year, like it, it seems like in a tight game, their game plan down the stretch of these games is, all right, let's get the ball to Johnny Juzang and let's get out of the way. And that's worked in phenomenal fashion plenty of times. But I also think you saw the downside of that before I fell asleep in the second overtime because he had two or three chances to win that game couple turnovers, a couple air balls. Uh, it's just a little bit of a weird, weird makeup for me because like as good as Johnny Juzang is, especially off the bounce, like he can get his spot whenever he wants it. He's a tough shot maker uh, and every team needs that if you're going to go deep into the tournament. But like they've got other guys like Tiger Campbell is a very flashy, unselfish point guard that I love seeing. Um, I think the offense hums when he's very heavily involved. Hawkes has his ups and downs, but I just I fear for them that they fall a little too in love with both the up and the downside of Johnny Juzang as a superstar. RC, is that a, a horrible take from me, or what? What do you make of that? No, I, I was going to say I, I'm a big fan of Tiger Campbell's, and I, I wish they would have the ball in his hands more. I think other people touch it. I don't think it sticks as much. I think his decision making is really good, and he picks his the right moments. He just has a great feel for the game. And I think one of the better point guards in, in the country in doing so. So I, I would like for them to have it more in his hands. I get it. 
you know, Jusang is, is deserving of it. He is a difficult shot maker, but I would like to see more of the flow of the game in Tiger's hand. Coach, I got a question for you with UCLA. I'm looking at the box score here. 50 minutes for Hawkes, for Juzang, for Tiger Campbell. Four minutes off the bench for Peyton Watson. I mean, they essentially played six guys last night. How tough is that? Like, what, what, can you win with the rotation that is really that small? Yeah, that's the one thing when we said we were going to talk about this game a little bit more in depth today, and I went back and looked at the box score and the kind of the rundown. That's what I circled. I had the, the 50 for those three players, a couple other guys almost close to 40, and the bench not much. And obviously, I've, you know, I'm used to at times playing seven guys, but I think as this goes on, as you know, overtime, triple overtime, you know, sometimes it can get away from you because all you think of, you're trying to win in the moment, and you're trying to have your best players out there. But I think it may have caught up to them a little bit because when you really look at the stat line last night, and if I was to just say to Randolph, hey, you're going to go on the road. You're going to out-rebound them by six. You're only going to turn it over nine times. And they're going to shoot 40% from the field and 33% from three. You got to think you win, right? But I think a lot of their issues sometimes comes back, like we talked about from the offensive end, to where even when they went for the game winners of the last couple of possessions, it was tough one-on-one -on -one contested shots to try to win it by Jacquez a couple of times. You do Zhang. 22% from three, 37% from the field. I think that's what's – and some of that can be through fatigue because of the minutes. Coach, how do you balance – oh, go ahead, RC. I know. I was going to say, I think a lot of the teams of – it's one of the things when I look across the landscape of the country right now, that's the big thing that's happening. I don't think there is a lot of depth from the bench. I think that's one of the things I love about Providence is that they have scoring. They have – I mean, you have teams that that – Guys hadn't given them 32 points all year from the bench in multiple games, I'd say. They've taken them like four or five games, and they have a guy that can do it just in one game. I, there's so many teams that have – we look at the better teams in this league, and there's something we'll look at as we get into the tournament is how good their actual bench is. I just think those guys are used to having that depth. They're sitting on someone else's roster right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a decent segue for me to another big game from Saturday, Kentucky over Alabama. And Kentucky is seeing some guys emerge off the bench right now. Uh, Damian Collins, for one, uh, he only played nine minutes, but 10 points, six rebounds in this game, making his presence felt. Um, guys, I, I was on After Dark Friday evening. And we played a little game uh, of basically uh, uh, call it all facts or no facts. And one of the, the prompts was Kentucky at full strength is better than Auburn. And I said that that's facts. I said that I think this Kentucky team at full strength is the best team in the country right now. And I stand by that. But I guess you guys tell me how wrong I am. Cause I already had two people on the show. Tell me I was wrong on Friday. Is, is that nuts? Because I truly believe this team has the highest ceiling in the country. When Ty Ty Washington and severe Wheeler are both on the court for 40 minutes. You, you want to take it right now? You take it. Oh, you go ahead, <laughs> man. I, I think they're really good. I think they're complete. And I think when you go to Alabama, I, there was a stat they popped up on the TV last night. I won't know it exactly, but Alabama hadn't been held under 50 points in, forever and and they only scored 55 points last night when you go on the road and you only give up 55 points man you're doing something right you know defensively 
you're competing, you're scheming, your guys are flying around, they're playing extremely hard. But they've got a guy in the middle in Shibway. They got point guard play with Ty Ty and Severe. And then they got guys that can make shots with Grady, you know, and Mintz, you know, and a couple other guys that I think they're all in right now. And they're playing extremely, extremely well. The biggest question for me for Kentucky is can they catch Auburn? Like, will Auburn slip up at all and give them a chance to tie and, and share for the SEC championship, which I don't know if Auburn will slip up twice. They almost did, right? Yeah, yeah. They, it's, it's hard winning on the road, though. I mean, it's hard. I mean, you, you, they're the hunting now every game. And credit Georgia, man, for coming back off that Arkansas loss and competing that well. Um, but I don't know if I don't know if Kentucky can catch them. They're right there. I mean, I I, I won't argue and say you're crazy. I, I I'll just I, I understand it. Like I said, the only knock I've had all year against against Kentucky is what are they going to do with that guard? You know, how are they going to do? Are they, you know, at one time we were saying they're better with Tata starting and severe will and not being there. And then it's, you know, that, 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 that whole, and now them being on the floor together, they're just dynamic duo. The only concerns that I have with them is just taking care of basketball, uh, you know, with severe will. I, I think again, he had four turnovers in this game and Alabama is a tough game. I get it. I won't, I won't knock him for that, but his, his turnover rate concerns me. Um, their bench, I like. I mean, they got guys that started for them. Davian Mint started for them last year. Toppin played a ton of minutes. Collins plays a ton of minutes. So they got guys that, you know, they can rotate. They're going to go at least nine deep. And I don't think many teams can say that. Yeah, they're they're absolutely better when Ty Ty Washington is on the floor. Whether that's starting, whether it's not. I mean, that that's the oh, guy no to me. That's the guy to me who is the ceiling raiser for this team. Um, all right, I, I want a pointed answer from you two. Let's say that Kentucky and Auburn get their wish, Oscar Chibwe's wish of these two teams meet again. Let's say they meet in the Final Four, neutral site in New Orleans. The field of 68 will be there. Who wins that game? You got to pick one. I'm going Kentucky. Coach, who are you taking? I'm still going Auburn. I'm still going Auburn right now, man. I just, you know, I, I'm really impressed watching Kentucky go to Alabama and handle them the way they did. And Kentucky obviously had the, the, the huge win against Tennessee and and, and the, the huge win last week that they had. But, man, Auburn, they're going to be tested on the road. They're going to have some tight games. But the sign of a good team, the sign of character, all the intangibles, you go to Missouri and you figure out a way. You go to Georgia and you figure out a way. Um, I'm just – I'm staying with Auburn until they prove me wrong or somebody proves, proves us wrong or prove me wrong. I'm going with Auburn, and I got to ask you, as much as you like Tata Washington, do you like him more to, better than Jabari? I don't like him better than Jabari, <laughs> but I think <laughs> – I, man, I, I like because you're talking about two talented guys, right? I mean, it's it's two very talented guys. I like I, I like the puzzle pieces of Kentucky as a whole more than I like Auburn's. Like, I think as much as I love Wendell Green, do I trust Wendell Green 100% for six straight games? I don't know. Do you do you trust Severe Wheeler? I, I feel like Who do you trust more in that matchup. Because every it's time pretty, I ask you, you start, it's pretty close. Who do you trust more? If, who do you trust? I'm asking I'll, you. Who I'll, you trust? I'll tell you. I'll tell you the one trade I trust the most out of the two teams truly is Oscar Shibway's motor and just how physical he is. I mean, he leads the country in offensive and defensive rebounds. Like he to me is 
the force that makes Kentucky go. And then you just surround him with these shooters. You surround him with these dynamic guards who can each do a little bit of something else. Um, like that to me is the recipe. Is that better than what Jabari Smith brings individually? No, of course not. Um, but I think it, Auburn to me, at least from what I've seen, Wendell Green, like it's the Wendell Green show when the going gets tough. And that worked with a buzzer beater down the stretch, a pretty sloppy buzzy, buzzer beater. But six games straight in March, that scares me a little more than what Kentucky has to offer. I like them both. I just said they both of them are number one seeds. We're just it's tomato yeah, tomato yeah, here. Both, we're kind of yeah. We're, we're it's a, it's tomato tomato. So it's making it look like I'm, I'm yeah. crushing Kentucky here, and I'm yeah. not. I'm I got you as the number one seed. The one thing, if if you are concerned about Kentucky and the turnovers, man, Auburn, man, the way they compete, the way they pressure, the way they guard, you know that that's going to be hard to go against. And I don't think you can look at. It. I know you got to win six games. But Bruce Pearl, when he's – I don't think he's thinking, hey, we got to win six games, man. He's just trying to win this game and then the next game and then they reset. And so I, I think it's it's many weekends, many weekends, many weekends, you know, and it's going to add up to six at the end of the day. But um, it'll be a phenomenal rematch. I, I don't know. Auburn doesn't go to Kentucky, do they? I'm not – I don't think they do. No. Um, and so they'll – if it's SEC tournament, I believe, is in Nashville – if they can meet for the SEC championship there, that'll be a lot of fun to watch. The thing about that is that'll be a Kentucky home game because if you ever yeah, been will. to the SEC tournament, <laughs> yeah, whether it's in Atlanta, <laughs> Atlanta, or it's in Memphis back when I was in school, or Nashville, man, Kentucky's coming hard, man, with the Go Big Blue chant. I got to say, I've seen Kentucky home games up here in the Midwest. I've seen it in Michigan for, for tournament games before, so – uh, all right, we're going to go back to a break here, but coming up, we will tell you who the number one team in the country should be. Does Auburn lose that title narrowly escaping at Georgia? Does Gonzaga win that title with a 30-point blowout against BYU? We will tell you after the break. Clear, 90 seconds. Dagan, what you got for us? Let's jump right into it. Let's make a pick for Tuesday night. Purdue, Illinois. Who we got? Where's that game at? Is that Purdue, at Illinois? At Purdue in Mackey. Got to be Purdue. Too tough Purdue. at Mackey. Purdue. I mean, it's just that's, that's their tough matchup, I think, for Illinois. Very yeah, excited to see what, what Kofi does against that front court, though. That's a in good the one. rematch, that'll be fun to see. No question. He, he, I think Purdue as well, but I, I'm, I'm expecting a big game from him. You know, I think he – they 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 got after him a little bit the first time around. I, I want to see how he responds. If Illinois wins that game, it's over. Shoot. If they win that, it's over. For it's Purdue, over. it is. Maybe maybe not the other three. For Purdue, it I definitely think is. I think Purdue is the only team good enough to beat them going forward. I think they're better than Michigan wow. State. I think they're better than Wisconsin. Uh, and and I and I think they're better than Ohio State. That's fair. Another one, Dagan. Yes, Shaka, Cooley, or Tommy Lloyd for Coach of the Year. 30? Or someone else. Give me Cooley. They're all well-deserving, but, you know, I would say Cooley right now, but they're all obviously – Who was the other one again? It was Shaka and who? Tommy Sh Lloyd. Shaka, Cooley, Tommy Lloyd. I mean, we you can say Kelvin Samson on there too, right? I'm going to say we got to <laughs> throw Calvin on there, right? Like – Bruce I did say or someone else, so there Come you go. On, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, God, that's so hard. I would not want to have that vote this year. I go to Ed right now. 
You're live. It's the field of 68 after dark. My name is Greg Waddell. Got Steve and Randolph Childress with me as well. We are on Sirius XM radio channel 84 ESPNU as well as YouTube and Twitter on the field of 68. All right. Gonzaga made their case last night. Another dominant win. This time at BYU, a BYU team who has been notoriously tough at home for the last few years. Uh, Bad week for BYU. They had a couple losses this week, but this is about Gonzaga. This is about Gonzaga reasserting themselves. They were the number one team for a little bit. They fell to number two. They had some hiccups in the non-conference. And as they typically do under Mark Few, they are humming in conference play yet again, Chet Holmgren. Buzzing on the draft boards. He's been mocked number one by a couple different people this week. Uh, I'll, I'll put it just point blank. Is Gonzaga the best team in the country right now? Coach Steve Prome, what's your answer? No, I mean, I'm very impressed with what they're doing. I'm not going to move Auburn. If I had a vote, Auburn will be number one. I could put Gonzaga two very easily. You know, it's impressive. You know, people can say, well, it's West Coast Conference. No, what they're doing right now and the dominant force that they're playing with. They have not won a league game by less than 16 points. They've won several by 30, a couple by 34. Uh, They're balanced. You know, their starting five averages from 10 points to 18. The three guys off the bench, Watson and Hickman and Hunter Salas, are coming along and getting more minutes like we talked about earlier with the bench. Uh, And they've scored 90-plus eight of the last 10 games. And one of the games was 89. Uh, Very deserving of a two seed, a number one overall seed for what they did in the non-conference. What I'm impressed about Gonzaga is they're not screwing around in league play right now. They are dominating. My biggest takeaway from last night is how many teams does the West Coast Conference get in? BYU's in fifth place right now in that league. Are are they an NCAA tournament team? Can that league get four or five teams in? I think they can, but BYU's gotta gotta flip the script here real quick. I mean, they've they've started slipping in a way that I didn't really anticipate them to slip. Um, I think it, I I may be misremembering this, but I think BYU was ranked as highly as 12th earlier this season after starting off really really well in non-conference. I think they beat uh, Oregon. Was it Oregon? They beat pretty bad early, right? Yeah, Killed it was in, in beat them Mountain, really bad, or, or in the yeah the Phil Knight thing. Yeah, they beat them by like 32. Beat them really um, bad. I, I still think they're talented enough, and they should be, but resume-wise, I think they got some work to do. But you're right. That conference, St. Mary's, San Francisco, both look like absolute tournament teams for me right now. Um, and you got to hope at least BYU can get there to make it at least four for that conference right now. But, RC, your take on Gonzaga. Is this the best team in the country right now? They're number two. They may be number one tomorrow. Should they be? No, I'm not going to penalize Auburn, but they personally how I feel. I think they're the best team. I think they're. I've been high on them all year. I I think they'll be the team to cut down nets. I'll say this to you guys. I pose this question to you: What conference would they be in that we wouldn't project them to win? What league? I'm not. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. What league? I, I think they got depth. They throw, but no matter what guy we talk about, they got bodies to throw at them. I don't know what league we could put them in that we wouldn't feel comfortable saying that they'd win the league. 
Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see them. If you throw them in the big 12 or the SEC right now, that'd be a, a phenomenal race with those three headed monsters at the top in both leagues. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, Gonzaga preseason was, was sort of the big bully with Chad Holmgren coming with drew Timmy back. Um, I think everybody anticipated this to be the number one team. And then I think the, the moment that changed, or at least they fell off the narrative was the loss to Alabama. But again, we know this Alabama team can beat anybody any given night. Like as much as Alabama is up and down, I believe they still have the most quad one a wins, which is the elite win category in college basketball. Uh, Alabama's best is, is as good as anybody's best. And Gonzaga was not their best that night. But man, if that was going to be the, the valley of their peak and valley season, which again, that was back in December, but they have turned things around in a crazy way. Like you said, coach, I mean, a 16 point win against San Francisco, who again is a really good basketball team, a, a 33 point win at BYU. I mean, that's unheard of. And Chad Holmgren is doing some things on the basketball court right now. Okay. I, I talked improved. about this the other day. Like I think as far as best freshman in the country goes early in the season, it was Paolo Bencaro. And that was kind of the consensus. And then Jabari Smith sort of had his coming out party and he was doing things that quite frankly, Paolo wasn't doing on the floor from a shot making standpoint. And now I think Chet Holmgren's going to start to have his moment with what he brings as a shot blocker, the shooting percentage from three, even off the dribble at his size. I think we're starting to see him get comfortable and blossom a little bit. People are going to take notice of him and see him as tournament time comes around. And that's when they're going to get appreciation where the East Coast bias comes in and you're just not having a level of respect. One, not respecting how good that league is this year. Like you said, San Francisco, St. Mary, they'll be there in the end. I think they'll cut down the nets is my prediction, but we'll get to that. Wow. That's bold. I do. I think they will. I think they'll be right there. Coach, I mean, where do you have these guys going in March? Man, they got a legitimate chance to get to the Final Four. There's no question about it. They got good guard play. They got somebody they can throw it inside to, and they got a guy that can protect the rim. But that's the same thing we're talking about when we say Auburn. It's the same thing we're talking about when we say Kentucky. They got all three phases. When you talk about perimeter guard play, you talk about guys' ability to make shots, uh, guys that can put the basketball in the hole, and then somebody that can protect the rim. And they've got two up front with Holmgren and Timmy that are just, they're different. You know what and I mean? They're different. So they can coach. I got to cut you off. We're going to wrap. This is the field of 68 after dark stick around for us on the afters over on our YouTube channel. All right. We're going right into it. I, I cut off the, the great Steve Prome as he was telling us how great Gonzaga is. It's right back to you. Ball's back in your hands, coach. No, I just, you know, it's just saying, you know, with Holmgren and Timmy, it just gives them a front court presence, uh, one that can really score. I mean, Holmgren's line last night, what was it, 20 points? 17 rebounds. 17 rebounds, six blocks or five blocks, six assists. You know, what happens, and I think Randolph was saying this earlier, is, and he's already going to be a top one, two, three pick, whatever you're going to say, Paulo, Jabari. But what happens in the NCAA tournament with certain guys and I saw it when I was in school with one of the guys that played at Alabama. You go to NCAA tournament, you may be in that 15 to 20 range. Now, this isn't Chet. And then you play the first round, and you go get 39 points and 22 rebounds. Now, all of a sudden, you're a top 10 pick. And then you get 22 and 17. Now, you're top five pick. And now you're legit. Then you go do the workouts, and now you're a legit one or two pick. And so, from that standpoint, 
he's got a chance to in that tournament and that run, if they make it to New Orleans, to solidify himself as the number one pick in the NBA draft. RC, you're you're the GM of the NBA team drafting first. Who are you taking in this loaded draft class? I, I early in the year, I, w- I was hands down Paulo Pinkerro. I, I really was. It was like it's not even close. But Chet has closed that gap a lot on me, and 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 he's he's given me something to think about. I I, I don't know. Before it was hands down, Jabari had his moment, but I still was more Paulo Bencaro. I, I I like what Chet can become. I, I like his ability to shoot the basketball right now more than than Paulo Bencaro. I just think Paulo's more physically ready to go right now. But if I had to pick, I may still stay with Paulo. But man, I, I would that would be something when I laid eyes in on that workout. And whichever one impressed me the most in the workout, that's where we're going. I, I, I think it's that close. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where this goes come NBA draft time because uh, this is three franchise-level players to me. Um, and my Detroit Pistons, right. fingers crossed, are going to have a shot at one of them, fellas. It's been long overdue. We got Cade. We need one <laughs> more, man. You talk about Cade and Chet. You roll that out in Detroit. That's the greatest show Detroit seen since RC was watching your guys in the Lions, man. <laughs> yeah, everyone didn't hear that story yet live. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the afters. Now we can. Greg, you just skipped over the whole bad boys generation. Man. <laughs> yeah, you're, right. Even... Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. <laughs> we're we're Pistons in the middle. Got a little history. A little history here and there. They yeah, he was getting on me about my son. I told the story, everybody, about my son. Uh, missing my son. I missed my almost the birth of my son, Brandon, because I went to the Detroit Lions game to see Barry Sanders. <laughs> so he's giving me a hard time about that. Hey, these are these are the stories that can come out in the after. <laughs> That's where we're at right now. As, make long, sure as, you... as long as Jeff Goom is not telling them. Right, I, right, I right. Uh, make sure you get your questions in. We'll take some from the YouTube channel right now. Dagan, we got anything good right now? Yes, we do. We talked a lot about it last night. And RC, I really want to get your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. What is the ACC ceiling in the NCAA tournament behind Duke? Behind Duke, wow. Um, right now, I'd say Notre Dame gets in. Wake. And that's it. And that would be is that would be. And, and, and it's hard to say because we did the other night. We did, you know, Steve, we did the blind resumes. And hell, we both picked Wyoming over Wake Forest's resume. Right? So... <laughs> I mean, you can make a, and I know this, this is, this sounds bad for some. I mean, the ACC is record wise. It's going to be tough to get them in. I'm, I'm going to go right now, aside from Duke, I'll go Notre Dame wait right now. That's that. I can't go further than that. You can't tell me Carolina. I, I just can't see it. Not what it's not that they've lost. They've got, it's been butt whoopings. It's been 20 point plus in those games. And I, I, let's just call it what it is. It, that ain't that. That's not going to work. You can't be 0-7 and, and have quad no. one, uh, in quad no. one and the average loss be 20 points and think you're no. a definite NCAA tournament team. At some point, you got you got to win. You got to win. You got to win some of those games. The problem is, is they're no more ahead of them. You know, it's got to be the AC tournament. It's got to be Duke at Duke. Um, and then Miami, you know, they still got an outside chance. All right. I like it. All right, let's jump back in here. Another question. 
Um, let's see. Can USC make the Elite Eight? No. Elite Eight? No. Elite Eight? No. No. <laughs> I would I would have been I would have thought you would have said maybe Arizona. I would have more faith in Arizona. I think that's you know who's had a better week than they have the last three weeks with you know last year they did. Yeah. Yeah. This uh this might be a (laughs) this might be a spicy Pac 12 take, but I I think I would take Oregon in the NCAA tournament more than I would take USC. I think that team has a higher ceiling. Who's second they're they're second place in the Pac 12 right now. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. not that spicy, honestly. Yeah. But yeah. With how far they've come, I really like that Ducks team and Dana Altman too. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. And they're always they always just kind of figure it out. You know, everybody's ready to write them off. November, December. Now they're they're they're, they're, they're second place in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, we didn't do any deep dive on Duke, North Carolina. I feel obligated to at least discuss the butt whooping that was yeah. Duke heading into Chapel Hill. Uh, did you guys see that coming? Like, obviously, we, we can talk now and say North Carolina's on the outside looking in, but like pregame, I was saying North Carolina's three point underdogs at home. They're undefeated at home. Like, I talked myself into the Tar Heels pregame and I felt pretty stupid watching that play out. Yeah, I think we talked about it that night and we had to give our picks. And I think we said, man, Duke, Duke and by double figures, you know, uh, go in there. And then I saw Rob's tweet about he probably should have, he probably shouldn't have taken Carolina in the points or whatever. But um man, Duke was I, I tell you what, Duke's credit, man, second half, they came out that 12-0 run and just ended it. Mm-hmm. You know, they just ended it. Now, Carolina, man, they missed a couple shots early, but, man, Duke just – and they were good last night. And that that was Carolina's chance in front of us all to say, hey, man, you're wrong about us. I thought Carolina was going to – I thought Carolina was going to rise up to the occasion and, and, and get, get the W. Um, having seen them twice since they lost to Miami and it lost to Wake, uh, they came home and took care of business against Virginia Tech, and then they had beat the brakes off NC State, and then they started getting things going. They had BC in between. They were they were just starting to win some games. Their defense at home, they were defending. I thought like, okay, if they play this type of defense on at home, it'll continue. Prior to that game, no one had scored. They were giving up. This was they they had to they were tied the record for the same as as Jordan led national championship team. They were only giving up sixty one points a game at home. So I'm thinking, all right, they're going to go in there. This rivalry game, that place is going to be crazy. And I thought they was going to get the win. And I had, I was on the call with the Miami and Virginia game. And I'm telling you guys, <laughs> before I get off the set, like I'm sitting here and it's like, we talking to the producers. I'm getting off set. I sit everything down, kind of gathering my stuff, small talking. And I look up and it's like, oh, Duke's up 20. Like what? Yeah. And, and I, 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 I mean, I can't defend it. I mean, it's it's. I, Duke, I, I would have lost money that night. Yeah, Duke, man, they just they look. They just, I mean, they look bigger, faster, stronger, more connected. I mean, they just. They were really good in Carolina. You know, Carolina wasn't, and now Carolina. I mean, they got a tough one at Clemson that's coming up this week. That's going to be hard to win at Clemson. That's a tough place to play. 
Yeah, RC, I can relate to uh, to just checking the score. Like, wait, what? I was uh, it was date night in the Waddell household. Being the good husband that I am, I scheduled a little dinner date right after the Michigan State game ended, which was right as Duke North Carolina was tipping off. I had convinced myself North Carolina could win this game. I had responsibly sprinkled a little money over at Bet Rivers. I drive to dinner. It's a 10 minute drive. It's the little local spot. We walk in. There's a TV. I make sure I get the, the table with the TV behind so I can see. They're down 16 points. <laughs> like it took 10 minutes for that game to be over and uh, for me to lose my money responsibly at Bet Rivers. So. And you lost your money for that dinner that night. Yeah. There you go. You got a double to- whammy. Pass the bill to the wife. It is what yeah. it is. Uh, it's a team effort in the Waddell household. We get it. Um, all right, fellas, let's let's do our three cheers. And this could be from something today. This could be from something in the weekend. Whatever you want to cheers to, I won't stop you. RC, why don't you take the first cheers here? My cheers goes to the Arizona. Arizona Wildcats here. I, I, I think having the week of beating UCLA and, and USC, I, I don't think it gets any better than that. You know, we questioned it prior to that. We were talking about it and questioned they hadn't played anybody. They answered the bell. Big week for Kirk Risa, too. A guy who I have been very antagonistic towards. And I, I'm starting to love watching him, but I've just been adamant that a Kirk Risa-led team is not a championship team in the backcourt. And I'm starting to eat my words on that a little bit because, man, he's both extremely fun and uh, he got it done for him this week at the highest level. Impressive stuff. All right, coach, who are you cheers into? Uh, I'm going to cheers to the Houston Cougars and Kelvin Sampson. Uh, first time I really got a chance to kind of just one-on-one outside of just hello and small chat, but to listen and talk and answer questions was just really, really impressed with his answers and what he's doing out there at the University of Houston. Tremendous row win, 12 wins in a row. They got a big week, obviously, with SMU and Memphis, but three cheers to the Cougars and, and what he's been able to do with a lot of adversity down there. Yeah, I came away extremely impressed as well with Mr. Samson. Uh, all right. My my cheers is going to go to a team that won today, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers, who have not been playing great ball for the last month, but we're holding on to a thread atop that conference. They could not lose this game on the road at Missouri State. Today, it was a revenge game. They had lost at their place just a couple weeks ago. And what did they do? They came out, they held uh, Isaiah Mosley, who went for 40 the first game to just 12 points, shot 47% from three, and kind of waltzed their way to a nine-point win to hold on to first place. And, fellas, as a Rambler fan that I am, I got the Coach Drew t-shirt right here. So to Drew Valentine and the Ramblers, cheers. I love it. Cheers. Cheers. All right, any last words, boys? This was a fun one. Big one tomorrow night, Kansas at Texas, Arizona, Arizona State. Who you got in Kansas, Texas, Coach? Who you got? Kansas. Oh, yeah, the Jayhawks. Texas needs to win it, but Kansas Kansas is rolling right now. Their focus is really, really at a high level, man. I can already see the line. And Arizona State get another upset in Tempe tomorrow night. No, no way. (laughs) No way. Yeah, magic ran out on that one. Kansas, Texas opens at Kansas minus one with our friends over at Bet Rivers. Interesting. Get some money in there. Yeah, that's a, if you, no matter who, if you feel strongly either side, that's a good one. Go on over to Bet Rivers, our partners, and make sure you sprinkle a little money responsibly. Uh, 68 tomorrow night, Greg. 
Yes, sir. <laughs> Your favorite show, Coach. I'm going to watch tomorrow night. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch <laughs> tomorrow night. You tell me anytime you want to come on as a guest yeah. on that one, Steve. We'll make sure we'll we see. make room for you. I'm going to see if they got Providence like at about a nine seed. Hey, hey listen, hey, Steve, we got to get on there and find out who, who's putting these teams in the tournament, hey, man. man. Who's ranking these teams, man? <laughs> got Providence on the bubble. <laughs> winning the Big East. Hey, joke's on hey. you. Joke's on you. Our bracketologist hey. experts are Carolina's just Carolina's a five fun. seed. Hey, yeah, yeah. And, and Dagan's got Washington in the tournament. He's got eight yeah. pack twelve. That's right, eight pack twelve teams. Yeah. Dagan's Come in on, the back. I'm on the Bill Wall. I'm on the Bill Washington State an eight nine game. <laughs> oh man, they're gonna flip it on you, right? When you you think the jokes on them, but they're gonna flip it and just make fun of us and every dumb thing we said tonight on the Fielding so. sixty eight. Uh, that, that was a great promo, Steve. Fielding the sixty eight, the field of sixty eight's bracketology tomorrow show. night, right? That's Monday night and Friday nights at six p.m. Eastern. Tune in. Uh, so you can watch the takes that Steve Probe loves so much. <laughs> Randolph and I will be the one on burner accounts yeah, tweeting yeah, at you yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, tweet. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, again, this is the Field of 68 After Dark. Please like, subscribe to the channels. Uh, for Coach Steve Probe, for Randolph Childress, my name is Greg Waddell. We will see you t- tomorrow night.